Today on the Word Preacher Podcast, Handling Apostasy, Certification from Bishops, and Revoked Commands. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. Our Come Follow Me material for this coming week will include sections 71 through 75 in the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, Let's go ahead and get started by talking a little bit about some of the background behind this first of those sections, section 71. Um, Ezra Booth had been among some of the elders that had traveled with Joseph Smith down to Missouri. And in this journey, they had experienced some problems. Some of the group thought that a true prophet of the Lord would have understood and handled these problems better than Joseph Smith had. And when called to look at their own shortcomings and forgive one another, some, like Isaac Morley, did humble themselves and became faithful. Ezra Booth, however... Uh, one in this company, did not. He was offended that his faults were in question by someone who had faults of their own. And he published several letters uh, back in Ohio that were highly critical of Joseph Smith. And it contributed to a lot of negative feelings of those in Ohio towards members of the church. In response to this situation, the Lord revealed section 71 on how to deal with this apostasy. Let's look at the first couple of verses. Behold, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servants Joseph Smith Jr. and Sidney Rigdon, that the time has verily come that it is necessary and expedient in me that you should open your mouths in proclaiming my gospel, the things of the kingdom, expounding the mysteries thereof out of the scriptures according to that portion of the spirit and power which shall be given unto you, even as I will. Verily I say unto you, proclaim unto the world in the regions round about, and in the church also, for the space of a season, even until it shall be made known unto you. Okay, so those are the first couple of verses in 71. Um, So it's time to open your mouths and proclaim the gospel. Apostasy is happening. The response, proclaim the truth. That's really important because Satan never wearies of presenting his case. Members of the church are misrepresented everywhere. In fact, just the other day, I was watching this online filmmaker talk about why he left the church. And in some ways, some of the things that he said were somewhat respectful, talking about the good things he had gained from being in the church. And in other ways, he misrepresented the church. He frequently used the term Mormon, even though we've specifically talked about how that uh, is not an accurate representation of the church. And he also spent a bunch of time talking about structures of, quote, homophobia and misogyny uh, in the leadership of the church. Now, this is important to understand. Satan does not 
have any problem playing two truths and a lie. He will use a representation that is somewhat respectful, perhaps even flattering in some degree, and also somewhat critical. And when you have that sort of representation, and that becomes popular, and, you know, somebody who, who portrays themselves as, here's a reasonable and balanced approach to looking at this, it conveys that the importance of the church, of its doctrine, and of course its head, Jesus Christ, is just really an optional thing, like medication. Oh, sure, some people will get some benefit from it, but if you experience side effects, then, you know, it's optional. You can stop that. The church is no different than that. Now, of course, there are other sources that do not mix any kind of respect into their representation. They're antagonistic enough that they only misrepresent the church. Like, for example, the very highly debunked and nonsensical CES letter uh, that rehashes a bunch of old anti-sentiments. Now, there's plenty, so there's plenty of different ways in which the, the opposite case can be made, that the church is not divine, that you don't have to look at it uh, the way that it represents itself. You can take some other perspective and have that be just as valid. But who will present the Lord's position if members of his own church will not? Certainly we are not just relying on you know, people who used to be a part of it, or people who have agendas against it, or people who think it's an option. It's as important as maybe, you know, some medicine that might have some side effects. Who's going to represent it the way that the Lord would have it represented? Let's read a few verses. This is verses 5 through 9. Now behold, this is wisdom. Whoso readeth, let him understand and receive also. For unto him that receiveth, it shall be given more abundantly, even power. Wherefore, confound your enemies. Call upon them to meet you both in public and in private. And inasmuch as ye are faithful, their shame shall be made manifest. Wherefore, let them bring forth their strong reasons against the Lord. Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, there is no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Okay, so actually quite bold counsel from the Lord. You know, go seek that out, uh, seek out your enemies and confound them. So how do we reconcile this counsel with what we read in the Book of Mormon? In 3 Nephi chapter 11, describing that contention is of the devil. Do we have uh, some sort of contradiction here? Well, it is important to note that the Lord is not suggesting we pick fights. Um, and if we look at the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, I think that we can get some insight because he was approached with many different questions and challenges, and he used a wide variety of approaches 
to make the case for truth, which included some of the following. First, silence. Sometimes he didn't answer anything. Some people are literally not worth wasting your breath to argue with. Um, and it's important to be able to identify the people who are just wasting your time. They're, they're just frustrating you by occupying time. You don't have to engage with everyone. Jesus also would sometimes use a counter-question. He was asked a question that challenged him, and he would sometimes use a counter-question. Um, and that's important because people who place the entire burden of proof on you may not have thought through their own positions. And he approached this in a couple of ways. Sometimes Jesus asked legitimate questions. He was approached by something with who knows what the intention was, sometimes a legitimate question, sometimes a dishonest question. And he would answer sometimes with legitimate questions either way. Um, whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctify the gift? Um, asking about some of the, the policies that some of the Pharisees were subscribing to in uh, Matthew 23, 19. Sometimes Jesus would ask a counter-trick question when they present something that no matter how he answers it looks, it could be taken the wrong way. He presented his own. For example, in Matthew 21, 25, the baptism of John, is it of heaven or of men? And they realized they were caught in the same thing and they refused to answer. And so he could at least say, well, then if you aren't going to answer, then I don't need to either. Sometimes it wasn't a question. He'd respond with a counterexample. Um, the prodigal son, to demonstrate the, the power of forgiveness, the desire that God has for sinners to come and be a part of his kingdom. Uh, sometimes it was a simple example. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Uh, uh, powerful imagery that helps us understand the dangers of uh, false prophets and how to identify them. Or the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, even the Samaritan was neighbor to him that fell among thieves. Go and do thou likewise. Sometimes, when he was asked a question, he would give an answer, uh, and different kinds of answers, a clear answer. You know, which is the great commandment of the law? And he presents the two great commandments, love the Lord first, and second, love thy neighbor as thyself. Or sometimes he'll do another sort of clear answer. If ye were the children of Abraham, ye would do the works of Abraham, uh, responding to this, and you know, we be Abraham's children in, uh, in the book of John. Sometimes he would give a vague answer, telling the parable of the sower, talking about different ways that people received the truth without really explaining what it meant, or a vague answer in the form of, you know, not that which goeth out, goeth into the mouth, defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. That's Matthew 15, 11. 
Um, so he used a wide variety of approaches. But what should be noted is that regardless of the circumstance, he always found opportunities to speak truth. He always, through example, through his speech, through what he did, he demonstrated the truths of his church. You can follow these examples, which means if you personally feel uncomfortable with debate, you don't have to start there. Start by saying that you believe in Jesus Christ. Say something that you loved that happened in your church meeting. Say something about how your prayers have been answered. Say something about an experience in which you served someone else that was rewarding. Express gratitude. Give thanks. And if you do feel comfortable standing against false witnesses, that can also be good. And it can help others who are not good at debate to have confidence in sharing their testimony without fear of being attacked or ganged up on. Don't fall for the trick that the gospel needs no defending, uh, which some people will use to berate those who defend the gospel online. Oh, you don't have to defend the gospel. Because, I mean, of course, the church will prevail. Truth will prevail. Jesus Christ will triumph. But we care about the lives and testimonies of people who might get lost in the process. Didn't Jesus describe leaving the 90 and 9 to find the one lost sheep? And while we do not compel any, we cannot express love for those who struggle with testimony by letting them remain lost. While our witness may not be accepted, the Lord loves our efforts to promote Jesus Christ and to invite all to join us on the covenant path. Okay, let's talk briefly about certifications from bishops. Sometimes people lie. In the church, being certified and recommended is important. Here's a couple of verses in section 72. And now verily I say unto you that as every elder in this part of the vineyard must give an account of his stewardship unto the bishop in this part of the vineyard, a certificate from the judge or bishop in this part of the vineyard unto the bishop in Zion rendereth every man acceptable and answereth all things for an inheritance and to be received as a wise steward and as a faithful laborer. Otherwise he shall not be accepted of the bishop of Zion. So this is important. There are individuals who claim to be members in good standing, but who actually proclaim falsehoods. And in the 1830s, they didn't have a phone line between Ohio and Missouri to communicate various situations with individuals. So having some sort of certificate to indicate good standing or priesthood authority helped to guard against apostasy. And even today, we use temple recommends to help certify a level of devotion and worthiness appropriate for the house of the Lord. While steps have been taken to prevent counterfeit recommends from being used or abused, 
there are other forms of deceit that come from individuals who claim to be members in good standing. Be careful of members of the church who become popular in the world. Stars or celebrities may claim to be members of the church, may even sometimes use their platform to or their fame to promote goodness, but that can change over time. Some actors who were once members of the church have since left to better fit in with the world. There exist therapists, authors, and politicians who use their membership in the church to promote things that are not good, at times even directly in opposition to prophets, apostles, and doctrines of Christ. Put your trust in sources that the Lord controls. He will not cause his prophets and apostles to lead you astray. And it's a safer bet to stick with them over charlatans like Dr. Julie Hanks. All right, let's talk about a revoked command. In section 75, uh, there are a few verses that give some instruction to William E. McClellan. Let's read verses 6 through 8. Therefore, verily I say unto my servant William E. McClellan, I revoke the commission which I gave unto him to go into the eastern countries, and I give unto him a new commission and a new commandment in the which I, the Lord, chasten him for the murmurings of his heart. And he sinned, Nevertheless, I forgive him and say unto him again, Go ye into the south countries. So the question when we see this sort of like change is, why didn't the Lord get it right the first time? Or was the Lord wrong the first time? The answer to that question is, of course, the Lord was not wrong. There are plenty of times that the Lord wanted something for some individuals that they would not receive the first time. Moses and the Lord wanted the children of Israel to become a holy people, but instead he found them worshiping a golden calf. It wasn't wrong for delivering them out of Egypt, though. Abraham pleading to spare the city of Sodom did not mean that the Lord was lying to him. It meant that the city of Sodom really was rotten to the core. Judas Iscariot actually was called to be an apostle. He chose to betray Jesus. The Lord really had many times where he wanted to spare Jerusalem. Certainly in the days of Lehi, he didn't make a mistake by having Lehi prophesy to the people of Jerusalem, even though he knew what the result would be. And this is important to remember, because when there's a change in some sort of policy, it's because people have done something differently, not because God has changed. I never thought that, for example, we would switch to two-hour church, or that we would shut down meetings during the pandemic as long as we did, or that we would restructure high priest groups. And this is important. We need to buckle up, because in a rapidly changing world, there will likely be more need to shift policy to help people come to the Lord. In the end, God doesn't make mistakes. The policies in his church may change to best help people at any given time. 
Beware of false prophets, concerned trolls, members in good standing who disagree with the apostles of Jesus Christ. Prioritize trustworthy sources. And you don't need to pick fights with people, but share goodness and invite to come to Christ in all aspects of your life, including online. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Uh, next week, we will be looking at section 76, the vision. Of course, there's a lot we did not cover in our reading this week. Please study that individually and with your family. And as always, fight on. Thank you.